glad that you're here with us today. Whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, we're continuing our series called Ready or Not, where we are talking about some small decisions that we can make this year that may have a tremendous impact on our lives. And so today we're gonna talk about what it looks like to invest in family. Now we know and understand that family does not look the same for everyone. That some of you, when I say family, really good, warm and fuzzy feelings come to mind. For others of us, it can bring up some hard memories. Some of you are parenting with a spouse and you've got young kids or adult kids. Others of you maybe have experienced a divorce and you're single parenting. Others of you may be yearning for a family. What we're gonna share with you today, I think has implications regardless of what season of life you find yourself in. So Ryan, you are our children's pastor, yes. which I just think is awesome. And so when I thought, who do I wanna to talk to about investing in family? You were who came to mind. I'm glad you did. Um, I know you don't like to think of yourself as an expert, but when I think children's pastor, how many kids I, I have do you lots, have? I have, I have four kids, one of, one of whom is watching right now in, up in Oregon. Love you, Ashlyn. And, uh, and I have a gr bunch of kids that I get to, to care for in the children's ministry. You said expert. I would say I have a lot of experience around yeah. kids. And, and I have moments where I look like an expert and moments where, you know, not so much. Don't we all? Yeah. Okay. So investing in family. Talk to us about when, when did that become something that you began to value? Well, for me, uh, I, I want to like preface this very clearly by saying that I, I have a... It's not a totally uncommon situation, but it is not as common as you would hope or think, and, and that is that I had parents that did an incredible job of, of, of investing in family. I had a mother and father that, that, that I never wondered where their priorities were. I never wondered whether I was loved. I mean, they, they, they worked hard to raise my brothers and I, and, uh, and, I, and I, when I say that I know it's not that common, it's because I've, I've been in multiple rooms where I am... Like the, like I've, I've been in a room full of eight guys where each one, I happen to be the last one that shared, but, but like one by one by one by one, they, they are telling me how they never, never had their father hug them, never had their father say they were proud of them or they loved them. Um, and, and, it, and it comes around to me and I'm like, I'm sorry. And I, I can only, I can only imagine how tough that is because it is sadly, it is sadly a common thing, but my father never made me, never made me own it. My, my mother did an amazing job just showing us through her time and through the effort she put in, uh, both of them. So I, I have that gift, and, and for me, it's just a matter of trying the best I can yeah. to keep that rolling. And, uh, so, and I'm fortunate So I that love way. this story because we need more of these stories in the church because what they paint for us is a picture of what's possible. So I am married to a guy named Ryan, but not this Ryan. And I know that's going to get a little bit confusing. Her, his, excuse me, her Ryan is with the kids right now, throwing dodgeballs at them. He's doing a great job. He's the best. Yeah. I'm, I married really well. I got the better end of the deal on this one. And so he shares your story in a lot of ways. His parents are incredible. His grandparents also. Uh, no one was perfect in his family, but they just lived well together and intentionally and did the hard work of healing from their stuff. And I can't tell you what a gift it has been to me to marry into that kind of a family because my story was not like yours and was not like my husband's. I really had no clue what a healthy, functional family looked like. In fact, I can remember when we found out we were pregnant with my oldest, Claire, I was terrified, terrified, because I knew that everything that I had learned and experienced, if I recreated and repeated, I would hurt and harm and wound, wound my children. 
And I didn't know any different. I didn't know what it would look like or how to recreate something different. And God's grace has been incredible over my life. But we need both stories because when I hear you say that, and when I hear my husband Ryan talk about his family experience, I think, is it possible that maybe my kids, my grandkids might be able to share one day that they had a different experience than what mine was? That's exciting. Uh, Dave Ramsey, when he's talking about financial, he talks about changing your family tree. And, mm-hmm. and there's times where I'll sit in counseling with people and I'm like, listen, you have an incredible opportunity mm-hmm. to change your family tree, to change the direction of it, to change the, to change the patterns of it. Mm-hmm. And I love to hear that that's, that's kind of something that inspires you. So that's cool. But it requires an investment of our oh, yeah. time and our energy and our resources. We all, I think, want to invest in family and make good choices and, and create healthy dynamics and experiences. But it's not easy. Yeah, the, the, when you sent me the, the kind of the, the idea of what we're going to talk about, and you mentioned why is, why is it hard to invest in family? And I, I just, I feel like you could take the, why is it hard to invest? It's hard to invest in anything. Yeah. The, the, the word invest implies that you're doing something now mm-hmm. for a future benefit. Yeah. And whether that's finances, whether that's, you know, relational, mm-hmm. it is incredibly difficult and counterintuitive for us. We're very much like, I want to invest now and benefit now. Yeah. And, uh, and for, the, for me, I mean, my wife and I, uh, we, we went through an experience with our financial lives where we had to understand that we had to kind of budget and things like that. And, and yeah. Dave Ramsey, that guy I mentioned earlier, he, it was like changing the way that we think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for me, like I said, I, I did have the benefit of having a great example as, as a child, mm-hmm. but, I, but I also did have to, I mean, I went from being a single uh, 20-year-old guy to marrying and having a wife. And I, it, it took time for me to understand that, that, you know, what Ephesians 5 says, where it says, he who loves his wife loves himself. And the idea of, of being smart enough, that the same is true for her as well as like he who loves his kids loves himself. Mm-hmm. And as a father and as a, a husband, to, to retrain myself to, to think that, that you know, wh- where I used to make only selfish decisions, mm-hmm. the, the best decisions I can make is to put their needs ahead of my own and to love them and care for them. And that is not how you're wired. That's not natural. It's and so, not easy. And, and again, the other part is that aside from that, you, you oftentimes don't see the benefits until later because of yeah. the investment nature of it, you know? Yeah. What happens when we don't get it right? Oh, well, for me... I get these wonderful moments where I, I, you know, I walk back downstairs and I go, okay, let's talk about how dad messed up there. Let's talk about mm. how I could have done better because that was a mess. It's humbling. Yeah. And, and honestly, like I, as much as, uh, um, I've told, I've told my kids two weird things over the years. One of them, I remember we were driving down the road here. I'm like, one of my favorite things to do with you guys is to discipline you. And they looked at me like I was like sadistic or crazy or weird. And the other one that I tell them all the time is one of my favorite things to do is to apologize. Yeah. I love the opportunity to say, here's where I missed it. Mm-hmm. Here's where I struck out. Here's where I, you know, as much as I want to be this parent, yep. I was the opposite. And, and sometimes it's that wonderful word, I'm sorry I did this again, like again, for the 15th time, I want you to know that it may not seem like I'm working mm-hmm. on it, but I'm working on it. You know, and, and I just think that's a healthy way, but it's, it gives me a little grace for myself, I guess. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I love about that example, because I think we can all relate to that, what parent hasn't needed to go back to their kid and say, I'm really sorry, multiple times. And, and what we're understanding now about kids and their development is that when a mom or a dad recognizes that they were too harsh with their kid, or they jumped to a conclusion, or that they wounded them in some way, hurt their feelings, it's okay as long as we repair that we go back to the child like you just described and we ask for forgiveness. We remind them that we love them, that our love for them will never change. Even when it's necessary discipline and they're feeling guilt, we want to come back and repair. We're not looking for perfection. 
We're looking to make sure we repair. And I think you just described that so well. Yeah, and, and the, uh, this idea that, that when I mentioned one of my favorite things was to, to discipline them, what I mean by that, because it does sound pretty sick, um, what I mean by that is I, I have this, this hope and this picture for each one of my, my kids. You know, I think that the greatest gift I've been, you know, that parable of the talents, I always talk about it during our uh, uh, claiming the promises ceremony, but this idea that God entrusts us with things and there's this parable that says that, you know, God's gonna one day ask how we were faithful with what he entrusted to us. And mm-hmm. to me, the single greatest thing I've been entrusted is my, my wife, Jen, and my four kids. And I have an opportunity to, to come alongside what God is doing in the life of my wife mm-hmm. and try to help her as much as I can to become the woman that God wants her to become. And the same is true for my kids. And that's why, again, that's why I say I love this idea of, of disciplining them towards that and helping them. And it's not, somebody stopped me after a message about five or six years ago. said, you should use the word discipline instead of punish because it implies you're, you're leading them towards something, not just giving them huh. consequences. Okay. And, I, and that is what I was trying to do. I just was using a wrong word. But I, I think one of the biggest things for me is this picture. And I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat sentimental in the sense that like I can get easily inspired by like a cheesy movie, you know, like a, like, oh, I want, I want that in my life or I want, you I know. I don't know what that's like. Yeah, yeah, it's not you? Nope. Yeah. Well, I am, I, I'm like, oh, I want, like my wife and I will often look at other families or other and we'll say, we really want that mm. for our kids. Yeah. And so that, that picture for me, if I were to like give you one thing that has been hugely helpful for me is allowing myself to embrace the cheesiness mm-hmm. of this vision for my family. Mm-hmm. This family that hopefully, you know, when I'm, when I'm much older, we'll, we'll be hanging out with grandkids yep. and playing games together and going on trips. And, mm-hmm. and I have to realize that I don't get there without intentionality. Right. I don't get there without effort. I don't get there without like really being particular about the steps it takes to get there. It's almost like having that vision and then re, re uh, uh, excuse me, what's the word I'm looking for? Reverse engineering, reverse engineering my way to that. Uh, um, what's his name? Andy Stanley has a great sermon series about this idea of the principle of the path and this idea of you have a place you want to get. If you're not on the right path, you're not going to end up there. As, no matter how many, if I want to get to Oregon and I head on the 15 South, I don't, it doesn't matter how bad I want to get to Oregon, I'm going to end up in, in Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway. So I love the way that you're describing the combination of grace and effort yeah. here. That it looks like both. And one of my favorite theologians and authors is Dallas Willard. And he says that grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. And investing in our families requires some effort on our part. It is multiplied by the grace of God in ways that I will never fully understand or comprehend. But I am so grateful for that. Ryan, thank you for your ministry to our kids. I have two kids in his ministry, one who I know gives you all a run for your money. And so thank you. Will you thank Thank Ryan this morning? I really appreciate it. Okay, I also told the last service that I've told the team that I can move the table when I'm wearing comfortable shoes, but if I ever wear uncomfortable shoes, I may need some assistance. And then I just realized earlier that COVID ruined my desire to wear uncomfortable shoes. Did that happen to anybody else? It is like after months and months and months, really a year of really not going anywhere that would have required uncomfortable shoes, I have given them all away when I'm purchasing new ones. I'm going for comfort, I'm just saying. So as we look at and consider what it means to invest in our families today, I wanna ask you three questions so that you might be able to discern the way that God is inviting you in this season of your life to partner with him. And the first question that I want you to consider today is, is it time to process the past? How many of you enjoy going on vacations? 
You like planning the vacations. You like going on the vacations. You like reminiscing and showing pictures about the vacations later. I know I'm making you sad right now because you probably have not been able to do that to the extent that you would like, but we enjoy vacations. How many of you take your kids or your grandkids on vacations? Okay, you know those are not vacations, right? Those are trips. Because kids ruin vacations. We know this, right? So my husband Ryan and I have had a high value on vacations our whole marriage. I can remember when we were newly married and totally broke, we would still find a way to get away together and experience someplace new. We have some great stories of some of the places we stayed in. And then as a a new family, a young family with small children, we continued to make that a priority for us. And I learned really quickly that it was much harder to be away on vacation with these little people than it was to just stay home with the little people. In fact, I remember a trip to Lake Tahoe when we had all three of our kids, our youngest was still probably about a year and a half, and she decided that she does not like sleeping anywhere other than her house. We didn't know this when we got to Lake Tahoe. And so she screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed no matter what we did. Finally, I think it was about night three and we were just zombies at this point. Ryan said, my husband Ryan said, I think I'm gonna try to just put her in the car. I'll drive her to sleep. Well, she fell asleep in the car, I think, because the car was familiar. But the minute he tried to bring her back in the hotel room, I think she woke the whole place up. And so for the rest of the trip, for the last four nights of the trip, that man, that wonderful man, put that baby in the car seat, drove her to sleep, and then parked in the hotel parking lot and slept with her. And then not only did we have that going on, but we all got pink eye on that trip. I mean, I have stories for days like this, just hilarious, but we just kept at it. But what I want you to know today is that in the Harrison family, it really isn't the kids that have ruined vacations. For years, it was me. Every trip, every vacation, whether it was just Ryan and I and we were leaving the kids with the grandparents and going away for a night, or it was a long weekend getaway with all five of us or a week for all five of us, I had this thing and I couldn't figure out why or how to fix it or what to do, but I would feel so much anxiety before the trip and I would feel overwhelmed and I would just kind of have that feeling of just like I'm coming out of my skin. And I would speak harshly to Ryan and to the kids and it would take me about a day into the trip to finally kind of settle and calm. And what's interesting is for a while, I didn't even notice that this was not a one-time event, that this was actually a pattern. And I can remember before a spring break trip, we were getting ready to leave, and I'm in this pattern, and I spilled something on myself right before we were about to walk out the door, and I just kind of lost it. And God was really gracious to me in that moment because I began to connect the dots, that that wasn't a one-time thing for me that it was a pattern, it was a cycle, but I I didn't want to be that way. I didn't want to keep doing those things, but I didn't know why and I didn't know how. And so while we were on the trip, I actually texted my therapist. I said, I don't know why I'm coming back. We've talked about all the things, but I need you to help me figure out why I'm doing this. Because I don't want my kids to grow up one day and all they remember about these trips and vacations is how mom was kind of a mess before. 
And so I share this story with you because you might not be ruining your vacations, but I wonder if there are things in your own life, things in your own story, where you find yourself doing the thing that you don't wanna do, where you find yourself reacting harshly in a situation when you want to speak kindly, you want to have patience. For me, it's kind of these moments where it was like this out-of-body experience, where, I, where I, I wanted to be patient, I wanted to be kind, I wanted to react in healthier ways. I knew what I should be doing, but, but I couldn't figure out how or why. And if you can relate to that today, I want you to know you're not alone. And it's not just me in your corner. The Apostle Paul writes to us about this as well. This is the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament. And I want you to hear what he described. Because while I know he didn't ruin vacations, because he wasn't married and he didn't have kids, he describes what I have experienced and what I would imagine every human being experiences to some degree or another. In Romans chapter seven, he says, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then to do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. He says, but I need something more, for I know the law I know how to speak with kindness. I know this is requiring patience. I know I want to be loving and kind, but I still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. Now, when he talks about the power of sin here, oftentimes I think when we read this in scripture, we think of our sin, our poor choices, our mistakes, the way that that impacts us and the people around us. This is also speaking about what has been done to you. Other people's poor choices, other people's mistakes that have hurt and wounded you and the consequences of that sin impacts how we show up and how we experience the world and how we engage in relationships. And it sabotages our best intentions at times. He says, I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad. And then I do it anyway. Can you, can you feel the exasperation that he's expressing here? He says, my decisions such as they are, they don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. And I laugh here because we tend to think that when a pastor or a leader or the apostle Paul tells us about the thing that they're wrestling with or struggling with, that it's just a one-time thing. It was one vacation that she ruined. No, actually it was several until I got this figured out. Um, that it was a one-time thing for the Apostle Paul. He says, no, this is, this is an ongoing thing where I need the grace of God to come and work in my life. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps, he says. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? There's a desperation here. He says, the answer, thank God, 
is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all of my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Can you relate to this? Are there moments and memories that are flashing into your mind right now when you wanted to do good, but instead you did something different? I want you to know that you're not alone. This is part of the human experience and God does not shame us or judge us for this. He invites us into grace and into love and into healing. And so this question of, is it time to process the past? Is it time to sit down with someone who is trained, who understands stories and God and the way that our minds are created to work and to talk about some of the things that you've experienced. Now, some of you, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Carissa, why would I need to talk about the things that happened decades ago or five years ago? That's not gonna do me any good. And I would say, yes, it will. I know this because I have studied it. I know this because I understand the neuroscience behind it. And I know this because I have personally lived it and experienced it in my own life. You see, we cannot go back and change our stories but we can change how we experience our story today. And we can change how we experience it in the future. And so I can't tell you exactly how processing my past helped me stop ruining my vacations. But what I can tell you is I went back, I did another round of work that I did not wanna do that was an investment of time and energy and resources that was incredibly brutal at times. And then in August of 2020, we went on the first trip we had been on in a long time. And on day two that we were there, all of a sudden I realized, I didn't ruin this vacation. I had navigated all of the normal chaos that comes along with being a young family all of the stress, all of the things, all of the stuff. And somehow I had managed to stay centered and grounded. I managed to respond instead of react. Friends, that's what's possible when we choose to go back and process the past. So three quick questions that will help you consider if this is something that God might be inviting you to do. The first question is, what am I sabotaging? Are there places and spaces and areas in your life where you're sabotaging things? For me, it was vacations. It's also other stuff that I am currently working on and where God is at work in my life. What might it be for you? The other question is, what am I forcing? Do you find yourself forcing your way of doing and thinking onto other people? Do you have to prove that you are right? Do you have to always have the last word? Do you have to be in control of all of the things and all of the people? That might be an indication that it's time to go back with someone that you trust and process some of what you've experienced. The last question is, what am I avoiding? If there is a story, a season of your life, a relationship that you don't want to talk about or you can't talk about, friend, that's an indication that it's time. And that can be done in a really safe place with someone that you build trust with. Now, maybe this isn't your investment right now. Maybe you have done this work, but maybe you're married to someone 
who's gonna begin this work or one of your kids needs to do this work. Because guess what? No matter how well we parent those kids, they're gonna grow up and they're gonna have their own work that God needs to do in their life. Maybe it's your brother or your sister or even your parents. Some of the uh, adult adults in my life that I look up to the most are in their 60s and their 70s and they're still engaged with God in this process. Culture wants to tell us that it's a weakness to ask for help, a weakness to look back, a weakness to process through some of our own pain and some of our own stuff. But I would tell you that it requires tremendous courage to do this work. And if you can be someone that invests in your family by supporting them as they do this work, by being patient with them as they do this work, by offering them unconditional love and acceptance as they do this work, that is such a gift. For me, that was my spouse, Ryan. I cannot tell you how much his support and grace and kindness and understanding has made my work so much more easy than it would have been otherwise. Is it time to process the past? And then the second question is, what does it look like to engage in the present? You see this present that we're living in, it's a mixture. It's a mixture of goodness and mess. We tend to focus on one or the other, but what if engaging in the present is practicing gratitude and acknowledging reality? that we would choose to see the good in those around us, that we would choose to spend most of our time focusing on affirming and calling out what they're doing right and what they're doing well, that we would choose to give them the benefit of the doubt, that we would affirm in them what we see them doing right and well. And at the same time, acknowledge reality. When we're hurt, when we're wounded, that we would express that in a gentle and loving way. When we need to set boundaries, that we would set the boundaries, even if that means we're gonna disappoint or hurt people. That when we have unmet expectations, we would talk those through. The Apostle Paul talks about this at the end of Romans chapter eight. He hits this climax that he is so confident in the goodness and the love of God and the way that God is at work in us and through us and all around us. And then in the very next breath, what he says is, and yet I have a huge sorrow. He's living in this tension of I am grateful and I am confident and I have hope and yet I'm going to acknowledge reality. There's this tension there. And part of engaging in the present is, is that we hold both. And then we consider how do I wanna show up? In this season of my life, with these kids, with this spouse, with this family, with these set of parents, how do I want to show up? How do I want to give? How do I want to love? How do I want them to experience me? Ryan and I have talked about the next 10 years of our life. We want to be the house. Do any of you know what I'm talking about? We want to be the house where all of our kids and all of their friends want to be there, which means we are making different choices then I would really naturally want to make. That means that this introvert who really wants quiet and silence and books is choosing to say yes every time that doorbell rings and the neighbor kid wants to come play at our house. Maybe not every time, but I'm trying most of the time. I'm buying food that I would never have bought before. Ryan came home the other day and he said, did you buy this? Yeah, I know, I did. But I want them to have food in our house that they love, not the organic stuff that I made them eat the last 12 years. Maybe you need to be someone who in this season says no more. 
I need to say yes more, maybe you need to say no more, and it's boundaries. This is gonna be very personal to your life and your experience. Because if you notice, how many of you have more than one kid? Have you ever tried to parent them the same way? It doesn't work. Every one of my kids needs a different kind of mom. Who do you need to be? How do you wanna show up? And then build your community. We cannot do this alone. This idea of investing in our families requires a community of people around us to support us, to inspire us, to remind us of what's possible, to give us ideas. You know, I told you, I had no clue what I was doing when I got married and we began to have kids. But the church, the local church, from the time I was 15 years old became my family. And there were women and men who invested in me along the way, who showed me what was possible, who gave me a picture that I could recreate in my mind, that have invested in Ryan and I and helped us to make different choices in our marriage and in our family. And so maybe you're a younger family, you need to get in a group so that you can be a part of community. Maybe you're a family who's got some experience and you need to get in a group because guess what? Those young families need you. Remember, we do groups here because I need you and you need me and we need one another. And then the third question that I wanna leave you with today. What does it look like to hope for the future? If we're gonna acknowledge that the present moment is kinda messy at times, that maybe it isn't everything that we were hoping for, then what does it look like to hope for the future? I read recently that hope is actually not a warm and fuzzy feeling, that it's a way of thinking. And this came from Brene Brown, who's an author and a researcher. She has studied human connection and emotion for decades. This was so helpful for me because I think sometimes when we read about hope, we think it's this thing we have to conjure up inside of us, but she says it's actually a way of thinking. That when we're wanting to have hope, it, it looks like setting realistic goals, which is part of what Ryan talked about a few minutes ago. What do you want your family to look like in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years? Do you wanna be a family that enjoys being together? What does that look like? What do you want your marriage to look like? Set realistic goals. That realistic is really important, by the way. And then stay flexible and creative about how you go about doing that, because guess what? Life happens and things happen and you're dealing with people and people are messy and they make their own choices and they need us to connect with them in different ways. So we stay flexible and we stay creative and we stay even curious. And then the third part of hope is that we would take loving action. That there's a part of us that takes that goal and takes some of those ideas and then we say, okay, God, what's the next right step I can do to connect deeply with my spouse, to love and connect with this child in the way that they need me to connect with them right now, to discipline them in the way that they need me to discipline them? What does that next right step look like? But you know, when we talk about hope, we also have to address that there are going to be times in our story in our families, when it just simply hurts too much to hope. When we say, I, I can't even tell you what a realistic goal looks like. I have tried every option and I keep hitting a wall. I don't, I don't know what action to take. And I want you to know that I know what that is like. 
I've been there multiple times. And hope in those seasons looks like waiting with God. Choosing to focus that God is with us in those seasons, working in ways that we cannot see. And sometimes God blows our mind and provides solutions and opportunities that we couldn't have figured out on our own. And sometimes God simply takes the broken pieces and the ashes and he creates something new and something beautiful. But we do have hope. And so as the team comes out, they're gonna lead us in one final song. And I want you to just consider what might God be inviting you into today? Is it time to process the past? What does it look like to engage in the present? How do we hope for the future? Paul says again in Romans 8, he says, this resurrection life that you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Doesn't that sound like hope? An adventurously expectant, what's next, God? His spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're gonna get what's coming to us which is an unbelievable inheritance. And I think here at Rancho, we have captured that inheritance really well with live free and do good. That we get to experience freedom from our sin, from our pain, from our past, from our wounds, from the mistakes that we made today in the car on the way to church, because I know some of us lost our temper with our kids in the car. It's all good. You go back and you repair. Live free and then we get to do good. 